Well, please, if you would, would you turn to uh, 2 Timothy 3.14, uh, and uh, we're just camping out here for, for uh, another Sunday, and, and then we'll expand out a little bit. So if you would, would you stand? I'm starting in verse 14, and there are a couple other uh, short passages I'll read as well. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, send your Spirit, open our hearts and minds, make us soft before you today. Allow us to listen and attend, for we pray in Christ's name, amen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. First Peter. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And then from the revelation of John, then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, take and eat it, for it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. You may take your seats. While on a long hike with a friend, as we were discussing life about the good things as well as some of the struggles, the conversation led my friend to suggest that there are key disciplines. A key discipline seems to unlock some area of life, making either easier to succeed or to reach a goal. And I would say ever since that conversation, I've been thinking about this idea. Now, maybe as a student, you've discovered uh, that one of the key disciplines for you is to keep up with your assignments. Uh, in my first semester in college, I contracted a terrible cold and spent several days in bed. I could barely walk to the dining hall to get something to eat. And as you imagine, I fell behind in several classes, and one of them was an ancient language. 
and I had to drop the course. It was just impossible for me to catch up. Maybe you found that reading with a highlighter helps you pay attention or to review what you've read, or maybe reviewing for a test, before a test, doing that uh, in the evening before you go to sleep. For many people, a key discipline is to take uh, 10 or 15 minutes the night before the morning of your workday and decide what's important, what must get done, and what's less important, and maybe some other things you shouldn't be concerned about doing at all. You have a don't list, a to-do list and a to-don't list. Um, and uh, uh, I want a strong relationship uh, uh, with people, the people in my life. I want a very strong and satisfying marriage. And while I'm romantic enough to like to think that it's just going to happen somehow, uh, experience says that I need to carve out intentional time when I'm fully uh, present to listen in an unhurried uh, way, as well as to schedule some intentional fun. In my love relationship with Jesus, there are also a number of disciplines that are mentioned in the scripture directly as a command or by example that are really foundational. And they're just necessary to carry out this uh, command Paul gives uh, to Timothy here, uh, when he says, continue in what you've learned uh, and firmly uh, believed. Now, if I'm going to continue to grow in a love relationship with Jesus Christ, then I need to engage in personal uh, worship regularly and a, in a way that comes into contact with the Scriptures. And we saw a few weeks ago that the Scriptures are no ordinary book. They are the very words of God. And for that reason, they are life-changing. God in them counsels us to listen to him, to consider his words, uh, to ponder what he's revealed about himself and what he has done and what he's doing. And we're commanded to be people of the book. In fact, Presbyterians historically were known as people of the book, to be so preoccupied with it that it gets inside of us, that it works on us. Just consider the, the opening lines in Psalm 1, where the psalmist says, blessed is the person who meditates so that they act on the word of God. And that person's life resembles a well-watered tree. It's a life that's made strong, fruitful, and resilient. And it takes place because of the way that the Word of God shapes their lives. Paul uh, mentioned at the end of our reading today the way that Scripture uh, instructs and reproves, it, it corrects our, our attitudes, our thinking about uh, life, really about uh, all things. And um, this morning... Uh, I want you just to think about the richness of, of this. Psalm 19, for instance, says to us that we should, as we lay a hold of the Bible, it be, revives our soul, it makes us wise, it brings joy, it enlightens our eyes, uh, it's more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. The, the psalmist says these things to awaken within us a desire uh, for it. But the most frequent and important metaphor in Scripture and our need for it is that of eating food. This book is food. 
so eat it. This book is food, so eat it. Now, Peter says that we are to long for it, to develop an appetite for Scripture that's like an infant for their mother's milk. In other words, demanding, greedy, desperate. In the book of Hebrews, uh, the Word of God is said to be like milk and solid food. It's like meat. Now, meat is a very dense food. It's highly concentrated, and it takes time uh, to digest. Um, It suggests that as we mature, we need more than milk. Uh, We need solid food, just like a child does. And it also suggests that there are parts of the Bible that you only learn uh, to eat as you mature. And like meat, it takes more effort. You just drink milk. It goes down easily, but you better chew that steak, right? Um, uh, But the most striking statement about God's Word is in John's Revelation. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go take the scroll that's open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and the land. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, and in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And he took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. That John is told to take the scroll and not to read it, but to eat it, to digest it before he prophesies, before he speaks God's word. Uh, The scroll is Scripture itself. Uh, John does this. He eats this uh, book. It gets into his nerve endings, into his reflexes, into his imagination. Uh, The book he is consuming is the Holy Scripture. And if you've ever studied the book of Revelation and looked at all the cross-references, you'll see it is filled with the Old Testament. He has digested it completely. Uh, this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Just how do we eat this book? How do we come to the Bible in such a way that it gets inside of us, and that it transforms us, that it becomes food for us? Just how does that work? Well, if you have never eaten a steamed crab or a lobster, and you're sitting down to your very first, you're going to want some instructions as to how to break the claws and then what things in those shells you should eat and what things you should avoid. And uh, if you've never practiced this key discipline of eating Scripture, then I want to give you a simple plan this morning. Now, I know from talking uh, to people who've tried to eat this book from people who even got excited uh, about it and uh, tried to work a plan that many of them, shortly after they started, experienced failure. And maybe that's been your experience as uh, well. 
Uh, failure can uh, happen for a number of reasons. One of them is this isn't really foundational. And it's that we all have a way of turning a relationship with God into religion. By that I mean listening to God in Scripture becomes a task on a to-do list that's undertaken so that God will be warm toward us. I've heard people say, if I don't spend time in the Bible uh, in the morning, then something bad is going to overtake me in the course of the day. It's moved by the thought at some level that God will be more pleased uh, with me if I do it than otherwise. In other words, Bible reading uh, is a, a way to avoid getting the cold shoulder from God. And this is a really a complete reversal of the grace that's offered through Jesus to us in the gospel. He's already done everything necessary for us to be pleasing to God. You need to hear the weight of that word, everything. He's done everything. Religion says to us, do. And Christianity says to us, done. Every other major religion in the world has a set of rules that if you do them, will bring you closer to God or you'll experience nirvana or enlightenment or, or happiness. And if you don't do them, you lose. Do them and you win. Don't do them and you lose. And Christianity isn't like that. It says that God himself in the person of Jesus Christ has secured grace so you were accepted. You'll never be turned away. You get, in other words, everything. All the spiritual goods you could possibly uh, want because somebody else has done it for you. And that someone else is Jesus. Now, failure can also produce a kind of paralysis in us. Uh, Portia Nelson wrote an autobiography in five short chapters. Chapter one, I walk down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I fall in, I'm lost, it isn't my fault, and it takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again, I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault, and it takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. There it is. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down a different street. Now, I want to invite you to see failure in a different way. You need to realize that failure is normal. If you're going to attempt new things, uh, attempt uh, to change or to make a difference, you will fail. There's a famous Roosevelt quote about that, but it's really true. Anybody who sets out to do something significant will experience Failure. I won't 
recount all the failures of Thomas Edison among many, many other uh, people. That's how you learn. Failure comes to be paralysis because you think that failure is a statement about you or your potential. The issue is, that's not the issue with failure. The issue is, can you learn from it? So uh, when it comes to adopting the, the key discipline of being with the scripture, you can set the bar too high or you can set it way too low. Um, if, as you read scripture, you're expecting every time you open it to have some uh, brilliant flash of insight, to see something that's so amazing and astounding that it's something you have never seen uh, before. If you're expecting to be so profoundly uh, moved, to be like Moses up on Mount Sinai or Elijah up on Mount uh, Carmel, well, you're forgetting something about mountains. You can't stay up there forever. You have to come down. Or, or maybe uh, you set it too low because you really weren't serious about your engagement. Uh, it, it's a wish. You, you'd like it the same way some people wish to get in, into shape or maybe to you know, learn something new, but you're not willing to make the effort. Or maybe you set yourself up for failure. You put that cell phone right next to where you're going to read the Bible, and you've developed a habit of picking it up and checking it. And, uh, you know, it could be the tablet, whatever. It's just right in front of you, and you start scrolling. And whatever time you've allotted for this, it's gone. It just has evaporated. You don't have to keep walking down the same road. You don't have to keep walking down the same road. But you do need to get ready to eat this book. So let me tell you how to get ready to eat it. God, the creator, who spoke all things into existence with his word, who gave you life and upholds you moment by moment, he wants to communicate with you. Think about that. That's really stunning that the creator of the universe wants to talk to you and to me. Ah, it's just a, like it's almost inconceivable that he would make time. He'd be interested in talking with me. It's certainly not because I'm a marvelous conversation partner for him. He's got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There, I'm sure, much more interesting <laughs> uh, conversations happening there. His word is powerful. It's creative. It's life-imparting, impart and it can change you. But it's a process, and it doesn't just happen. You can't use your Bible as a pillow. Face planting in it is not transformational. Tearing out a page and using it like a sponge will not make a difference. Having some lovely, eloquent person read it to you as you run an errand or drive uh, to work in a passive manner, as you listen in a passive manner, it won't be transformational. There must be a faith response to God's personal revelation of himself to you. And that response can take uh, several forms. It sounds something like this. Yes, Lord, I believe what you are saying. I'm going to face today believing that you are good and wise and that you love me and you have a good plan for my life. 
And I accept that your good plan might look really different than what I would think of as good. A faith response is to say, yes, Lord, I submit. I'll do it your way. I'll trust your instructions and commands and values are the path that will lead to my life's flourishing. I will change my attitudes, my values, and my way of thinking. Yes, Lord, I'll do my best to try to walk in what you show me. I'll do it as a way of saying thank you for all you've done for me. I'll do it as a way of bringing my whole being uh, to you as an expression of my worship for you. This is what faith looks like. These are faith commitments that affect the way you approach the Bible, and without them, you cannot digest it. You won't be nourished by it. Second, and this, this might strike you as a little more subtle, but it's necessary to read the Bible in a way that's unlike the way we've been schooled to read everything else. See, we're taught in uh, school to read things in a detached uh, manner with a kind of a cool objectivity uh, that holds the text kind of at arm's length. It's an object. Maybe it has some utility and maybe it doesn't. But it's an object. It's, we're not in a participant in a, in a conversation in that way. But God wants to have a conversation with you. And when you hold the Bible out here at arm's length, what usually happens is that we bring our own agenda uh, to this conversation that God wants to have with us. Uh, those common agendas could be anything from uh, wanting to be challenged intellectually to seeing the Bible as a book uh, full of personal advice. It's kind of a self-help manual. Or for inspiration, we, we want to see something that, that challenges us, that picks us up, or something that brings us comfort. Now, the deceptive thing about all these agendas is there's truth in all of that. Um, here's what I mean. The Bible is intellectually fascinating. If you have a curious mind and you like to use it in demanding uh, ways, you can hardly do better than to become a scholar of the Bible. Language, history, cultures, ideas, geography, literary art, you name it, and the Bible has it all. And if you have a more practical bent and you want to live well and you want to love people uh, well, and you want to understand how it is to be a, a, a good employee or neighbor or citizen, well, the Bible has sound counsel for you. It's filled with wisdom about everyday living. And there are many comforting and beautiful places in the Bible. It can be like a warm cup of tea. But God's agenda is different than that. He wants to transform you. He wants to make you more fully human. And it's not primarily to inform you, it's to form you. It's not that there's nothing that's being communicated, there's no content. That's not, that's not the point. It's less about gleaning information, and it's more about transformation, about personal change. God wants to take the clay of our lives and shape it into something beautiful. 
something we can't do with our lives. He wants you to listen. He wants to draw uh, you out of yourself uh, into a conversation. Uh, He wants uh, uh, to draw you into a conversation that's not about what you want, not about your itch. It's about what he wants. He wants to involve you in his agenda, what he's doing. And this means you have to receive it. And you have to allow God to be in control of the conversation. This is one reason why people leave vast parts of the Bible unread, because they want to be in control and they immediately think there's no utility in, uh, in that part of the Bible, and so they don't read it. And this means you have to yield yourself. Like the way you go to the dentist, one of my least favorite places to go, by the way. You know, uh, you sit down in a chair, and they tell you to open your mouth, and then the probing begins with sharp objects. The way uh, you go to surgery. You know, they take your ordinary clothes, they give you something very skimpy to wear, they ask you to lay down on a table in a cold room, and then they put you to sleep. You see, we short-circuit that when it's our wants, our needs, and our thinking dominate the conversation because they become filters through which we listen. A stubborn resistance to the truth of Scripture is like... looking at your dentist after they tell you, you have a tooth that's decaying here. Do you see this x-ray? Do you see this photograph I've taken? That's your tooth. And you say, it is not. (laughs) It's like the doctor uh, telling you that you have a serious illness and you need a course of treatment. And you say, "Uh, no, doctor, I don't. But thank you very much. Our expectations can also uh, be like, well, the very first time I held uh, Nancy's hand. We were on a walk, and, um, you know, uh, tentatively, uh, I reached for her hand. And when she uh, accepted it and squeezed back, it was like electricity went through me, and I began to perspire. <laughs> it, was really, it was really very exciting. I felt like I'd taken a big risk. And the second time, I was really anticipating uh, doing that, and the same feelings uh, came. And I still uh, very much enjoy holding uh, Nancy's hand, uh, but I don't break out in a sweat, and I don't have a tingly feeling, usually. Uh, And I'm not nervous about whether she'll reject me. Well, a lot of people want every encounter with God to have this emotional high uh, for them. And it just is not like that. Now, I want you to notice carefully what John has said. I've read it to you twice, that the angel uh, hands him this scroll, the, the scroll of the word of God, and he, it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And after I'd eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Sooner or later, you will find that not everything in the Bible is to your liking. Certainly, that's been my experience. It's bitter. The Word of God doesn't flatter us. It doesn't feed our fantasies about ourselves. It does not agree with all uh, the values and ideas that are in fashion at any particular cultural uh, moment. It's a sword, and it will cut 
and it will penetrate uh, the deepest parts of who we are. And it'll expose, it'll lay bare uh, self-deception in order to heal us, in order to make us whole. It'll challenge every thought that's not captive to Christ. It'll challenge every thought that's not captive to Christ. And I want to just say as an aside, we all are influenced uh, by the cultural narratives around us. None of us are free from them completely. Uh, I was with a group of pastors, and we were talking about it, and the presenter said, he asked everybody, how how free are you of of these after we reviewed uh, five of them? And uh, nobody said even 50% of the time. (laughs) Uh, And then he said, well, just think about the people we're in front of on Sunday uh, mornings. Um, You know, you can think of it this way. For a relationship to grow, there needs to be feedback. So I can think that I know how I should love Nancy, and I can expect her to respond warmly to my efforts to love her. But if she never tells me that, well, she doesn't like that or just doesn't mean that much, uh, to her, well, uh, we're not going to get all where I was hoping to get in the relationship. Now, for a couple of years now, I've been trying to learn to play guitar. And um, I like guitar music. Maybe it's not your, your thing, but I do. And, and the music I especially like is rather complex. And the particular style I'm probably most attracted to is called finger style, which means uh, playing individual strings, sometimes two strings at the same time. Um, And I can't do it. I'm really frustrated I can't uh, do it. But I have to first uh, become so familiar with the chord shapes that I can do them the same way I can ride a bike without having to think about, oh, I need to hold my finger here and move this finger and adjust uh, here. And I have to have such a well-developed sense of timing I don't have to think about that either as I think about this pattern I want to play. Well, to eat this book, uh, you may have to do the same thing I've had to do in playing guitar. I've had to humble myself and play very simple songs and mostly content myself with learning how to strum. And if you don't have a plan to eat this book, you need one. You'll never be consistent without a plan. And it may be that you also need to humble yourself. So if you recognize that, I want to offer to you a very simple plan to eat this book. Whether you've never started to eat it, or you've tried and you've given up, or you're just inconsistent, you're hit and miss, then humble yourself. Here's the plan. Set aside 20 minutes a day. Uh, Some of you are thinking, I don't have 20 minutes a day. Well, it would be a rare person in this room who doesn't have 20 minutes a day, and all you have to do is pull out your phone and look under phone usage. Or to keep track of how much time you spend on screens in the course of your day. I would dare say that every one of you has 20 minutes. And here's what you should do. You should aim to have 20 minutes five times a week and use 10 minutes to read and reflect on the Bible and 10 minutes to pray. When you open the Bible, uh, find a simple passage. 
probably from the New Testament. It's a good place to start. A paragraph or a story. That's all, that's all you want. You want to you uh, pray and ask God to be with you. Read it twice. And then ask some simple questions. In fact, I've given you a, a little guide this morning. There's some very, very basic questions. You ask them all. You know, ask one to you, you see, you get something. Something uh, strikes you, and then try to apply it. Um, and then take uh, t- 10 minutes to pray. There are two simple patterns uh, for prayer. One is the Lord's Prayer, and I've offered some thoughts about how you might uh, use that. It's a very comprehensive prayer, and you uh, can pray all sorts of things along with it, or you can just use the simple ACTS uh, acronym, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. There are both great ways uh, to engage in prayer. And then here's the thing. Tell somebody you're going to do this. And then do one of two things. Either say, is it okay if I text you when I do it? Or uh, say, would you text me once a week and ask me, how's, how's it going? Nancy does this uh, daily with a friend as they're memorizing Scripture. They just text each other uh, their ability to rec- recount the text without cheating. And, uh, and it's a wonderful uh, uh, connection. So you could partner with another person. Say, hey, would you do this uh, with me? You don't have to follow the plan. If you've got a your well-oiled plan, great. Just We're going we're gonna to just uh, check in with each other daily about how we're doing. Parents, you need to help your children eat this book too. And at every age, it's going to look a little different. Um, but one of the best things you can do is to, as a family, perhaps uh, over dinner, um, read a passage of scripture. You might do this at bedtime uh, and, and uh, uh, talk about it maybe for a moment or two and then have a prayer. For my money, the very best story Bible, it's not, not in the back of the bookstore, is the Jesus Story Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. I strongly encourage you uh, to, to use it if you haven't, if you have children that age. I've given it to all my uh, uh, grandkids. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you in a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ? A love relationship? Have you lost your first love? For Christ to be your first love, you need a heart that is single, passionate, undivided, and yielded to him. And for that to happen, You need to be in the scriptures regularly and often. I know this because it's what I need. Do you need to renew your love relationship with him? Do you need to set aside a rival for your affections? Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, be pleased to help us see ourselves Give us a hunger for this book. Lord, satisfy us and nourish us with it. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.